Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I just dropped some popcorn kernels down my breasts. <laughs> it's what I get for having a snack. And a snack that makes me really nervous <laughs> at that. Popcorn isn't exactly a quiet snack. Well, I, I was eating it beforehand. I just wanted a little munch, uh, and I dropped some Skinny Pop just down my shirt. I found it. Well, it's, we're, we're all good. I'm glad you found it. I'm just a little nervous for midway through the story, I hit a really important dramatic moment and... Get ready, y'all. <laughs> It is my purpose in life to sabotage you, so that that's gonna happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome, uh, welcome back to Campfire Classics, or welcome for the first time. Yeah, I suppose every episode, as as I've said before, every episode is probably somebody's first episode of Campfire Classics, and we highly welcome that. Yeah. Uh, we did launch a new uh, website this week, um, which makes. Everything's super easy for you to find everything about us that you ever need to know. Um, it's a link tree page. So um, if you want to find us, just uh, go to uh, link tree and search Campfire Classics, or you can go to our website, campfireclassicspodcast.com, and it's there as well. Yeah, that um, gives you links to all of our social media, to all the places you can listen to us. You um, can follow us on all everything. Um I'm just going to address this. There's some weirdo from like Facebook that I don't know. A lot of people have been getting these recently. It goes through waves, like bots. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's bots and stuff. Um, they randomly will friend you and like you just are like, okay, whatever. And you don't even think about it. And then I now have this person named Lee trying to call me on Facebook Messenger and I have no idea who it is. Right. So if he tries to call you again, you're going to answer on speakerphone and we're just going to record the conversation. Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's video. It would like, I'd have to like see the person and oh, I don't like that at all. That's not so much fun. Oh my God, stop. I don't like it. I don't, hey people, especially strangers, don't stalk people you don't, he's still calling me. Okay, well, we turned off the recording, and I have now unfriended and blocked that person because he proceeded to continue to try and audio call me on Facebook. So message for all people in the world, don't do that. The thing is, you know that that was part of some sort of scam or bot or, or hack sure. job or something. It's why... It's funny. Your default is to say yes. My default is to say no. I like to assume I, the best in people. I decline. <laughs> and even if it's someone who I recognize the name and see the picture and recognize the face, mm -hmm. I go to the page to make sure it's actually them and not someone who has like um, cloned their page yeah, and, and made something to I'm look like I'm usually better about it, but like... So the person was in like a seafarer's uniform. So I just assumed when I got the request, it was somebody I met on the ship. Yes, because none of the people you met on the ship would be creepy. Well, <laughs> most of them not. But yes, I did have my <laughs> I did have a couple creepers. But uh, that is definitely not someone that worked on the ship. I look. They, we have no mutual friends, and uh, they are now dropped into the ether of uh, my blocked my blocked peeps. But if you want to get in touch with us on Facebook, <laughs> we won't block you. Just don't call us, uh, you know, without at least like interacting with us first. Yeah. 
say send a message say hi tell us why you're reaching out so that we don't delete you as creeper stalker spam yeah because earlier today he also sent me a message saying like where are you from beautiful which is gross and it's not 1952 anymore so don't send creepy messages like that unless of course it's like grinder or uh, tinder and that is the point of said app but even then maybe like ease in there a little bit before you start like saying that kind of stuff yeah like ease in with a i have a big penis yes so at least send a dick pic first i mean <laughs> actually my friend nava I'm not, I, I, my my friend nava who currently lives in berlin i met her through my gym and she's hilarious she got a job in berlin about six months ago so she moved during the pandemic and she's trying to date. She's trying to meet people. And so she's on like their version of Tinder or it's just Tinder. I don't know. And she has received unsolicited said pics. Um, now she saves them, saves them and like sends them back. And she goes, now I just have this. Um, she also has created a chart <laughs> that um, she sends to dudes and it asks them questions about their penises. And she's really trying to get one of them to fill it out. <laughs> A couple of just sent laughed like ha ha ha, but it has like uh, questions like length, girth, love for. Like, it's just like it's a very like academic chart. Uh, like I don't want a picture. I a- want angle a- angle of descent. Yeah, like I want I want an <laughs> academic description. I don't want a picture. So there you go, ladies, gentlemen out there that are interested. Um, I can put that chart up on our website. Well, and if and if they send a picture, what you do is say, thank you. I will be using this for future research. Just so you know, here are all of the other pictures I've received. And, and just, just like, spam, spam them with them. dick pics. Yeah, just until they block you and unfriend you. <laughs> um, that is my now goal in life, except I don't have Tinder anymore. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so unsolicited is not good, but solicited is great. And uh yeah, wait, uh, wait until your dick pics are solicited. Yeah, I mean, if someone's asking for it, you you do you. Live your life. But that is literally asking for it, not like, oh, come on, she was asking for no. it. No. There's a big difference. Literally, someone needs to go, I unless, want to see your un- Unless dick. the words were, send me a picture of your penis, they were not asking for it. No. <laughs> uh, speaking of pictures, I know we said we'd, we'd at least do this once early in the episode. So... If we get at least five Patreon patrons in the next uh, week, in the next, basically, yes. by the end of March, uh, there will be a 50-50 arts production, Campfire Classics, I guess specifically yours truly, host Ken Sandberg, doing a um, sexy co-ed animal Halloween costume calendar that will come out in Halloween. That will uh, that will come out for 2022. Yeah, but so we'll release it around Halloween. Um, um, but every month will be a different um, slutty version of an animal costume. Like, yes. you know, like I'm a slutty mouse. I'm a slutty coronavirus. I'm a slutty. I'm not going to do coronavirus. I, They're going to be animals. Well, that is an animal. It's a being. It's a virus. It's- it is a single celled <laughs> organism. <laughs> No, no, they will all be, they will all be multi-celled organisms. So you can be a slutty octopus? I could be a slutty octopus. I could be a platypus. (laughs) Awesome. I could be a sloth. Oh my God, sexy sloth. (laughs) Um, So yes, so you can become a a patron. Cuttlefish. 
There's nothing sexy about a cuttlefish. They're really cool looking, but like. Oh, just wait for the calendar. I can't wait, y'all. Where will all those but tentacles only, come from? But only <laughs> if we get five new Patreon patrons in the next week or so. In the next week. So you can go to our. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you can go to that Linktree page and it takes you right there or our website or um, you can go to 5050 Arts Production slash Patreon. Is that right? I think, it, I, I, think I, I think you got that backwards. I think it's Patreon.com slash 5050 Arts Production. So, yeah, become a patron and then you can see Ken without a shirt on for a whole year. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I get to see it all the time, but I, uh, I know y'all want to see that. So uh, spread the word. <laughs> Do you hear that playing? I, in the distance. <gasps> I do. Is it happening? Here it comes. <gasps> ah! Welcome to True Crimes and the Lie, the game show within a podcast where we try to figure out if we can tell the difference between fact and fiction. Usually we can't. I mean, usually I can't. So uh, yeah, it's, I do all the research, so it's easier for me. <laughs> you do all the research and you write them, and then I fail usually. You, yeah. So what I've been doing recently is uh, bringing friends along. Yeah. Because they help me. So did you bring a friend with you this week? I did bring a friend. All right, who you got? His name is Kevin from the Jury Room Podcast. Hey, Kevin. Hi. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome. Yeah. To Campfire Classics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast. I know we ran your promo a couple of weeks ago, but I'd love to hear more about what you do. Yeah. Absolutely. So, The Jury Room is a true crime podcast where we visit unsolved cases, um, missing person cases, serial killers, kind of a little bit of everything. I'm actually getting ready to do a conspiracy theory case also uh, here in the next probably about four weeks or so, so I'm super excited about that. But yeah, it's just more or less, it's just taking a deep dive look into, you know, just different true crime and the different natures of serial killers, you know, throughout their beginning of their lives, the middle, you know, and what led up to them ultimately being douchebags. Being oh, crazy. can I say that? I don't know if I can say that, but... Oh, yeah, you can say douchebags. Yeah, we... uh, you, can, you can say whatever the fuck you want, dude. Yeah, we, we, are, awesome. we are definitely explicit content. Fuck, <laughs> yeah, fuck is a good word on this let, podcast. Let, let your freak flag fly. Yes. So you're, you're, a, you're kind of a ringer then. You're a, uh, you're a true crime guy. So this, this should be in your wheelhouse. I told you, I brought along people that can help me. <laughs> right, not make or fail, right? I, I mean, I'd like to think I know a lot, but obviously I don't know everything, so... I'm well, going to well, think we're going to succeed. The ladies of Wine, Dine, and Storytime, two were right and one was not. So, you know, it's it's all up in the air. It's so, all up in the air. And we're still going to get that winner wall going. Yeah, gonna, we still got to build a winner wall. Dana, uh, Dana and Nydia were like, we need, a, we need to be on the winner wall <laughs> because we won. And we're like, okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. All right. So um, for any first time listeners out there and a refresher for our guest, the way this works is I'm going to read the synopses of three crimes. Two of them will be true historical crime stories, and one of them will be the fictional plot to a movie or a book or a TV show or a play or something like that. And it will be your job to see if you can tell which one is the lie and which ones are the true crimes. Excellent. Let's it's do it. that simple. Yeah. So I'm going to read these stories in chronological order. This week's stories all date back a century or more. 
uh, bear that in mind when I say things that might sound just absolutely bananas, because some of it is unfortunately just a sign of the times. Right. Story number one. A woman we'll call M was sent to live in a convent. Uh, She was a young woman, and when I say young, I mean she was 13. She was praised for her obedience, humility, and piety until she reached her 20s. (laughs) And then she became a hoe. Kinda, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She was was going out and teaching other young women in the town when she met a man who we'll call G. So M and G conversed in public, then started exchanging letters using an agreed-upon drop point in a garden. Scandal. And eventually, they got a blacksmith to make duplicate keys to the convent. And a fellow nun and G's friend, a priest, helped them organize a secret rendezvous. They met at night, frequently. M got pregnant, but the child died. Pregnant nun. The affair became on again, off again, uh, sort of a predecessor to like Ross and Rachel from Friends. Um, In the off again times, M would try doing extreme things to convince herself that the affair was bad, including eating feces every time she thought of G. What? Yeah, it it was. It was. I threw up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) None of that ever took. Eventually, they got back together. She became pregnant again. This time, the child survived, and G, the guy, brought the daughter home and acknowledged her as his illegitimate child. Then, the real shit started to go down. Not just the shit, like, down the... Not just the shit down the... Not not the... uh, (laughs) 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 Um, One of M's fellow nuns found out about the affair and threatened to expose them. So G murdered her. Yes, not murder. Wow, that's an unexpected response. Um, M told her sister nuns that anyone who blabbed should expect the same. And they told the outside world that the dead nun had just been transferred to another convent. Well, not everyone believed that, so G started killing other people, including the blacksmith who made the keys for them to cover up the lie. Eventually, the story reached officials who arrested and convicted G. He escaped, but was sentenced to death in absentia. He was eventually murdered by a friend. Um, someone who knew him, but heard that he was under penalty of death and just said, well, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Uh, M was arrested as an accomplice to the murders, but claimed diabolical forces made her do it. She was sentenced to 13 years in a cell. She survived and was released to eventually live out the rest of her life in the convent. Okay. Well, that was a very twisty, turny kind of road right there, man. That was a lot. Oh my God. I have a lot to say about that one, but damn, the Catholic church has got some shit. Literally got some shit, man. That's Literally got some shit that time. That's... As a recovering Catholic, I can bash the Catholic Church all I want. <laughs> so, all right, so that was number one. So that was story number one. Right, okay, wait, time out. Then... For, the, for the record, your facial expressions yep. are hilarious. I, <laughs> you are like... I'm just, anyways, continue. I'm sorry. Dear, dear listener, facial expressions are what you're missing out on. Wait, maybe we should start recording. 
recording these. Like, we'll, we'll have to start doing a video version of just, these. Just of your face and listening to him <laughs> read off and your facial expressions. It'd be perfect. I'm a cartoon. <laughs> uh, so story number two. A man who we'll call H fell in love with a girl who we'll call L. She agreed to marry him. Her father said yes. Everyone was happy except their church. <laughs> is this a church? See, L and... <laughs> yes. He so sure we, is always a theme. Oh, I sure. always put all a right, theme. All right, all right. We've got, we've, got, we've got religious motivated crime this time around. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so L and her father were early members of the Mormon church. <laughs> H was not. So, an elder of the church told them that she should get married, suggested two good Mormon boys for her to choose from, and gave them a month to decide. Instead, they decided to run away. This would have been a good move, but unfortunately, the two men did not like being told no so rudely. So, H returned home to their new hiding place one day to find L missing and her father dead. H tracked L and her captors down, but was unable to rescue her, and she died, reportedly of a broken heart, though realistically probably from some disease or infection contracted as a result of being locked up in some Mormon's basement. <laughs> the, the Mormon basements are dirty, man. <laughs> They're so clean up front, but that's where they keep all their crap right down there. All the poison, all the murder, murder acts. It's probably where they keep all the religion at, is in the basement. In the basement, It's where they keep all the documents that are forged. So H vowed vengeance, eventually tracked down and killed the two men responsible for the death of L and her father. He was eventually located after a very public manhunt and freely confessed to the murders, figuring, well... I completed my life's mission. I don't have anything else to lose. He was arrested, but he actually died the night before his trial. Suspicious. Convenient. Uh, Officially, he died of an aneurysm. Okay. Sure he did. Jeffrey Epstein hung himself. Right. Exactly. Right. All right. Mormons. Definitely the theme is... Yeah, because a lot of people die for religion, so I completely get this. This is a good thing. Yeah. All right. All right. All I right. like it. Yeah. This is- Story number the third. A priest who we'll call S was relocated by the Catholic Church. Of course he was. This relocation came after several complaints and accusations ranging from exactly what you're thinking of to complaints that his parishioners didn't think he was even a real priest. <laughs> Once in his new pos- costume and like start showing up. Pretended to be an ordained priest, yeah. Okay, that sounds like a fun um, game. Once in his new position, he would later tell police, he heard the voice of God telling him that he should love the rectory housekeeper. At first, she turned him down, but eventually they started a secret relationship. S told the woman that he was going to leave the priesthood for her. Sure, we've heard that one before. (laughs) Performed a secret marriage ceremony for the two of them and started renting an apartment for them. He was also, in a twist worthy of the talented Mr. Ripley, having an affair with a man with whom he was running a counterfeiting ring. 
Of course, there, there's always something else, right? One night, while being intimate with his wife on the altar of his church, a voice told him to sacrifice her. <gasps> he stopped. That's called schizophrenia, not Jesus. <laughs> he stopped and told her what was going on. She laughed at him, told him he was just being crazy. Shortly thereafter, they found out she was pregnant. Not long after that, S. came home to their apartment, murdered his wife, and threw the pieces of her body into the river off a ferry. The mistake S. made was wrapping the body parts in pillowcases that still had tags or labels on them. The police were able to trace sales receipts back to S. He confessed to the murder as soon as he was arrested and sentenced to death. Oh my God, why don't these people just like leave the church? <laughs> he doesn't need to be a priest. And that lady did not have to be a nun. And Mormons are just weird. <laughs> uh, I mean, she's pretty much nailed it right there on the head. It's, 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 like, uh, you don't like the church you're in, just leave. Just leave. <laughs> just uh, go live your life. I mean, don't murder people. So, um, those are our three stories. All right. It is now up to the two of you and to you, of course, listener at home, to try and see if you can guess which one is a fictional story and which two actually happened. All right. Kevin, do you have any ideas? So I listened to all three of them and like I have no idea because I'm trying to like I was trying to rack my brain to try to figure out if something along the way would jog a memory. Mm-hmm. But in my humble opinion if it's what a century a century is what 100 years right or no yes so all of yeah so all of them took place at least a century ago so if it's at least 100 years or older at least that means even the third story would have to be in 1921 or before so in my opinion being a, a true crime junkie I would say it's going to be the third one is going to be the lie because there's no way they had the technology to trace receipts at that time. That's what I think. Okay. That is a good reason, actually. I, I like that reasoning very much, but because I usually just go with a different story, (laughs) I'm going to go with the Mormons because Mormons are weird. I'm going to go with the Mormon story. So you think number two is fiction. The Mormon one is fiction. (laughs) And you think number three is fiction. Correct. All right. So I'm going to start with a story that neither of you picked. Story number one was true. It well, that that did in fact happen. It is the story of Marianne de Leva y Marino, who was born in Italy in 1575. Her lover was Count Giovanni Osio. Ooh, account. <laughs> and the resulting murders and trial were very well documented. Her story has been told in at least four Italian films, one Italian French film, and at least one Italian erotic film. Well, oh, <laughs> None porn. No, not that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you want shit porn? Or what? Oh, yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah. I, didn't think, I forgot yeah, about you that. You forgot oh, about no. that part, right? <laughs> that's that's going to affect my dreams tonight. It's going to be. Um, 
story number three was a true story. Oh. Uh, the reason they were able to trace the receipts is because the the label had the manufacturer's name on it, and the manufacturer was a company right across the river, oh. and they were just able to go look through their records. <laughs> it's um, mom-pa business. So, <laughs> so Hans Schmidt was Hans. born in 1881 in Bavaria, uh, while he claims to have been ordained at age 18, many people think that he forged his own ordination papers. He ran at least two counterfeiting rings during his short life. Okay, so he was faking priest. He was not a priest. Many, many people believe that okay. he was faking it. <laughs> Uh, when no one in Europe would accept him as the new parish priest because of all the complaints, he moved to America. In New York City, he met his future wife, Anna. Uh, shortly before his execution, he wrote a letter to the district attorney saying, I should have told the truth in the first place. Anna died from the result of a criminal operation which was instigated by me. I did not murder her and am not guilty of murder in the first degree. In other words, what he said in his letter was he tried to perform an at-home abortion and she died. <laughs> oh, man. Not that abortion's I just love funny, that you're... but that yeah. this guy is just a sicko, man. What the all right. He, well, right. I love that everyone in Europe was like, we're not buying your shit. And he comes to America and, <laughs> and they're everyone's like, like Yay! Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, people in New York will put up with any old thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a priest, good. Which brings us to story number two. Yeah, good job, Heather. Well done. I, I, I've been on a roll. S story number two was the plot of the Sherlock Holmes novel, A Study in Scarlet. Oh. Ooh, I Is it? Yep. They're Mormons? Yeah, so, or or at least that's the plot of part of it. Obviously, I left out the parts with the investigation and just gave the murderer's backstory. But yes, there you have it. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle writing about murderous Mormons over a century before Netflix released that Mormon documentary. Yay! Awesome. Hey, thank you yeah. so much for playing along. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That was Thanks for maybe, having uh, me. Maybe you can cover one of those stories once. <laughs> <laughs> You want to you want to cover the shit eating nun I, one one week? I, oh. Only if you come on with me though. That's the only way. Okay. I gotta okay. have. I gotta see the facial expressions. Deal. <laughs> while I'm reading the script. I can even like uh, enact. I'm not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat. I'm not gonna eat shit. We'll get oh, some chocolate God pudding. Okay. Give me some chocolate pudding and I'll like. <laughs> oh my. That visualization is still bad. Though. <laughs> like, I'm gonna be like like almost throwing up as I'm eating because. You know, I have an imaginative mind. I'm not going to just be like, oh, yeah. oh, that's pudding. No, I'm going to be like, oh, she's really covering herself in shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> I miss my lover. Ah. Oh, oh, that's gross. Well, that's thanks. horrifying. That was fun. I, this was fun. I had, I'm glad you guys had me. We should have done it sooner. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much are. for coming on. We, Kevin, you've been super supportive of our podcast, and we love Absolutely. your podcast. So, you, Can you tell our listeners when your new episodes come out and where they can listen to them? Yeah, so my next episode's coming out on March 28th. Uh, it'll be the Jonestown episode. At that point, I'm going to uh, every two weeks for an episode release. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to start doing like an aftermath episode to where... Uh, I bring on guests to discuss whatever the previous episode was, you know, whether it be, you know, true crime, a conspiracy theory, something like that. Uh, that'll be being be that will be released in between episodes, um, nice. to, you know, just for that more content thing. Um, but yeah, so my next episode will be uh, next Sunday. It'll be Jonestown. 
super excited about it. Almost done with it. I've been like super perfecting it. So I'm probably overthought it 8,000 times by now. But yeah, I'm super excited to get it out there. I'm excited to listen to that awesome. one. I, I am deep into the uh, cults right now. I'm watching the Scientology cult uh, like on uh, Netflix. And like I've listened to a couple True Crime Jonestown. So I'm going to I'm going to listen to yours. I'm excited. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, and listeners at home, thanks for playing along. This has been True Crimes and the Lie. <laughs> sound that I was worried about. Um, so that was fun. Oh yeah, Kevin's the best. You, you, y'all may remember Kevin from uh, from the promo we ran of his a, a couple few months of weeks ago. ago. That was a few months ago. He was one of our first. Mo- months ago, actually. Well. Kevin is incredibly um, supportive of us and all podcasts, um, and just a really great guy. So please go listen to Jury Room podcast, the the Jury Room podcast, and. Um, uh, tell him Ken and Heather sent you, and uh, yeah, that was super fun. Yeah. He was he was he was very fun to play with. And um, I mean, congratulations to you for for guessing right. Although I know. I've got to admit, I think he might be the first one to use logic he, in his attempt to to figure out which was which. And I really appreciate that's not true. That, that's not a lot of people have been like it. That wouldn't have happened if yada yada like like time period. But yeah, I mean, I actually, when he said that, I was like, that was, Ooh, a, I like that. that is actually accurate. And I actually had that thought too, since you had said everything was over a century yeah. ago, but you know, when it's from the factory across the river. Yeah. Yeah. What's you going to do? That was bad planning. <laughs> Whoopsie. People keep going to records. So don't murder people if, <laughs> and then wrap them in your pillowcases. I, I, I think I just think don't murder people. The takeaway should just be don't murder people. <laughs> Can't. Can't we just agree don't Yeah, don't, don't murder people. Don't do murder? Don't do murder. That yeah, don't do murder. Don't do murder. All right. Speaking of not doing murder, uh <laughs> let's let's get into the story. I think. All right, I like it. That is we what got, we do after all. Yeah. We 30 minutes in, uh <laughs> eventually we get around <laughs> to reading stories and we, talking about We always authors. get there. Though though we did have True Crimes and a Lie, which is kind of our own little spin-off our of story storytelling. Telling. Um, all right, so this week we have a new author again, right. which is fabulous. Uh, this week we will be doing, or not doing, I, <laughs> they're dead, um, so that, that'd be gross. Don't uh, do crime. <laughs> don't do crime. Um, this week we are reading a story by Herman Melville. Oh. Do you know who that is? I do. Yeah. <laughs> So Herman Melville, you might know, uh, wrote Moby Dick, y'all. Yeah. That that story that we've all like heard about in junior high and made a lot of fun of because it's about a sperm whale and it's called Moby Dick. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the Great White Dick. The Great White Dick. But uh, he actually had a really fascinating life, and we're not reading Moby Dick because you know this is a short story podcast. So um, I got all my information from AmericanLiterature.com, Britannica.com, and of course our best friend Wikipedia. Wiki, wiki, wiki. Uh, so Herman Melville was born on August 1st, 1819, and uh, he was considered part of the American Renaissance period. He was born in New York City and was the third child of eight. 
big families. Big family. Uh, of a father who was a merchant. And uh, both of Melville's grandfathers were heroes of the Revolutionary War. Melville uh, found a lot of satisfaction in this double revolutionary descent, as his quote. <laughs> um, uh, his dad's dad, uh, Major Thomas Melville, was part of the Boston Tea Party. Uh, and oh, his, cool. I know. And his maternal grandfather, General Peter Gasvort, uh, Thought was, you were going to say Peter Gallagher. Peter, yes, his his grandfather Peter Gallagher, <laughs> um, and all of his glorious eyebrows were famous for having commanded the defense at Fort Stanwix in New York in 1777. Well, damn. Yeah. So uh, he did not go into the military. Uh, <laughs> uh, they were uh, part of a well-established, colorful Boston family. Um, is where his dad came from. Um, and Melville's job and was his dad's job after the war and before him was uh, trading goods, um, basically a merchant and importer of French dry goods. So, right. uh, yep. The problem was he lived well beyond his means. Uh, yeah. And uh, in 1830, his wife, Maria, so Melville's, uh, Herman's mama, who had kind of been supporting them, like helping, right. lost patience, and they pulled the plug. They basically cut them off. <laughs> Alan's total debt to both his family and her family exceeded $20,000, which Ooh. at the time is half a million dollars. Yep. Uh, this is equivalent to half a million yep. dollars now. That's, that's, that's a big bill to run up. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So uh, he was considered... Uh, unstable and uh he couldn't afford their house in new york city anymore on bleaker so he moved the whole family up to albany new york um and went into the fur trading business unfortunately in 1932 his father was returning from a like trade in new york city on a steamboat and there was an ice storm where he was in an open like carriage for um an extended period of time at negative two degrees fahrenheit he got sick, and two months before Dad turned 50, he passed away on January 28, 1832. Aww. So, they're in debt, and to add, uh, so Mom didn't know, neither did the kids. They just thought they moved to Albany, you know, for a change of scene. So, when his paternal grandfather died later that year in September, Maria and the children discovered that uh, he had borrowed more than his share of an, of Maria's inheritance and therefore received $20 Oops. when her father passed away. That sucks. Yeah. So the kids started working. They were eight children, and at this point, some of them were almost grown. Um, Mel, uh, Herman was 14, so he got a job at a bank. <clears throat> Um, sure. He worked as at a bank for many years, and then he uh, finished up school and was a teacher for a while. And then he took to the sea. His brother, his older brother, was like, you can get a really good job on a ship and make a lot of good money. Yo-ho, yo-ho. Yo-ho. So in 19, or 19, in 1839, he was really old. <laughs> in 1939, when he, he was, was 120. not alive. <laughs> and the and it's over. Um <laughs> Uh, in 1839, he became a common sailor on a merchant ship, and then later as a whaler. 
shocking. Um, on the Auschnitt is what the ship was called, the Auschnitt. All right. Not Auschwitz. It's a very different thing. The um, Auschnitt. Uh, on January 3rd, 1841, he set sail on a whaler. Really upsetting, interesting information about whaling. On an average voyage on a whaler, some 40 whales were killed to yield 1,600 barrels of oil. Yep. This is why we need sustainable energy, y'all, because that is not a cool practice. So in the summer, and this is apparently it upset Herman, because in the summer of 1842, him and his shipmate, Richard Green, Toby, jumped off the ship. They, like, abandoned the ship in Nukuhava Bay. Okay, so they didn't just, like... They didn't jump, jump. overboard. <laughs> no, they, like, you know, when like when I was on the cruise yeah. ship, like, when we had shore leave, they, uh, and we did have jumpers. Like, that actually happens. Like, people get off and don't come back. Uh, they That's what they did. They, they got off the ship and then did not return. So, uh, and actually his first book, Typey, um, in 1846 was based on his stay in the Taipei Valley. So leaving the ship inspired his first novel. Upon finally returning home, his, he told all these adventures to his friends and family and they were like, you have to write that shit down. That's, (laughs) that's pretty amazing. So this is how this book came to be. And his brother found a publisher in London and uh, it was published on February 1846, and it became an overnight bestseller in England. And then it was first published in New York on March 17th uh, of the same year. Huh. So Moby Dick came around. The earliest surviving mention of Moby Dick is from May 1st, 1850, in a letter where he uh, told his fellow sea author, other people who wrote of the sea, um, quote, I am halfway in the work. And in June, he described the book to his English publisher as, quote, a romance of adventure founded upon certain wild legends in the southern sperm whale fisheries. Huh. You don't usually hear romance and sperm whale in the same sentence. Not usually. (laughs) Not usually. Then that same year in early August, Melville met and became very good friends with Nathaniel Hawthorne. And he actually dedicated Moby Dick to Hawthorne because really? he very much uh, admired him and his writings. And he kind of helped him finish the book, like read early drafts and whatnot. Now, surprisingly, the novel was not well received. And he did not make any money on this book. Huh. It was disliked by critics and sold 3,000 copies during his lifetime. Damn. That's it. So... Uh, He ended up, that like pushed him over the edge. He'd had some successful novels. The one was very Mm -hmm. successful. He'd had some good poetry and short stories. And when that happened, he was like, I can't do it. I don't, I don't want to write anymore. So he's like, I got a family to support. So he ended up doing public lecturing for a while. He did three lecture tours about things. He was a teacher before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he toured some of the battlefields of the Civil War and wrote poetry um, inspired by that. Uh, 551 copies were sold of that. So he tried again and people just weren't 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 having it. They weren't feeling his style. So uh, he ended up becoming a customs inspector for New York City and he held that post for 19 years. And then he retired December 31st, 1885. Unfortunately, during his entire life, he was considered a failure 
a failure at writing. As, you know? as a writer, yeah. As a, as Not a as human, a human. As a human, he did a lot of shit, so good for him. Um, but he passed away September 28th, 1891, and the local paper where he died referred to him as a long-forgotten author. But then... In 1919, there was a renewed interest in his work called the Melville Revival, where a bunch of academics started like reading his work and found his style and like the messages hidden underneath his work. And uh, people started writing autobiography or not autobiographies. People started forging autobiographies <laughs> about him, which he was can really write from weird. the dead. Um, Raymond Weaver um, wrote a wrote the first full length biography called Herman Melville Mariner and Mystic in 1921, and then starting in the mid 1930s, Yale University scholars um, supervised more than a dozen dissertations about him, and they were eventually published as books. And then Moby Dick came back out, and it like it became kind of required reading. So uh, he had success after he passed away i guess you find that a, a lot with with artists in any genre mm-hmm. um musicians writers painters sculptors whatever yeah you, you find that a lot with people who are now you look back and consider them to be ahead of their time yep today we have one of his short stories uh which again is not moby dick and is not even about whales so okay today we bring you the lightning rod man <laughs> By Herman Melville. I totally picked it because the title is awesome. The Lightning Rod Man. The Lightning Rod Man. Think it's a story about Ben Franklin? Or Percy Jackson? Or- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's start this by. Let's start it. The Lightning Rod Man by Herman Melville. It's a really weird superhero name. Lightning Rod Man. I'm Lightning Rod Man. No, you have to say, I am the Lightning Rod Man. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's so many. What grand, irregular thunder, thought I, standing on my hearthstone among the Acrocuronian oh, hills. We already have a word. Um, I think it's a, a place. place. Is it? It's capitalized. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's capitalized and it's it's hills. Uh, what is it? Because oh, then we'll Acro, know where we are. A C R O. Okay. C E R. C E R. A U N I A N. All right. It is a mountain range in Albania. Wow. All right. <laughs> Was not expecting that. Great. So this is The Lightning Rod Man of Albania (laughs) by Herman Melville. (laughs) What grand irregular thunder, thought I, standing on my hearthstone among the Acrocoronian hills as the scattered bolts boomed overhead and crashed down among the valleys, every bolt followed by zigzag irradiations, and swift slants of sharp rain, which audibly rang like a charge of spear points on my low shingled roof. Oh, damn. So there's a big storm. That's the first and period. And a lot of alliteration. Slick slabs of yes. sharp snakes. 
I suppose, though, that the mountains hereabouts break and churn up the thunder, so that it is far more glorious here than on the plain. Hark, someone at the door. Who is this that chooses a time of thunder for making calls, and why don't he, man-fashion, use the knocker instead of making that doleful undertaker's clatter with his fist against the hollow panel? But let him in. Ah, here he comes. Good day, sir. <laughs> also, why is a... F- Does anybody, like, now, when they hear someone knock at the door, like, almost hide if you're not expecting anybody? Because you're like, what the fuck? Especially during Corona. Well, especially during COVID. You're like, who the fuck's at my door? No, no, no. But really, it's been a long time since I would open a door to a knock that I wasn't expecting. Exactly. Because I'm like, no, if I knew you, you'd have texted me to let me know you were on your way. (laughs) Good day, sir. An entire stranger. Pray, be seated. What is that strange-looking walking stick he carries? A fine thunderstorm, sir. Fine? Awful. Why the fuck you in my house? (laughs) You are wet. Stand here on the hearth before the fire. Not for worlds. The stranger still stood in the exact middle of the cottage where he had first planted himself. His singularity impelled a closer scrutiny. A lean, gloomy figure, hair dark and lank, mattedly streaked over his brow. His sunken pitfalls of eyes were ringed by indigo halos and played with an innocuous sort of lightning, the gleam without the bolt. The whole man was dripping. He stood in a puddle on the bare oak floor, his strange walking stick vertically resting at his side. Rude. This guy just, like, comes into his house, and he's like, come stand by the fire, you're wet. He's like, I'm good. I'm just going to ruin your floorboards. Yep. (laughs) It was a polished copper rod, four feet long. I Wait. want someone to respond with the dick survey with that. It's a polished <laughs> it's a copper rod. <laughs> polished copper, four foot long. Four foot long rod. <laughs> Lengthwise attached at a neat wooden staff. Yes. <laughs> by oh, inserting into two balls of greenish glass <laughs> ringed with copper bands. <laughs> It is not a good sign when your balls are green, man. <laughs> the metal rod terminated at the top, tripod-wise, in three keen tines, brightly gilt. He held the thing by the wooden part alone. Yeah, you gotta hold it by the wooden part. <laughs> he got the survey. He clearly got the he survey. He clearly got the survey. Well done, sir. Thank you for letting me paint my own picture and you not thrusting it upon me. Sir, said I, bowing politely, have I the honor of a visit from that illustrious god, Jupiter Tonans? So stood he in the Greek statue of old, grasping the lightning bolt. If you be he or his viceroy, 
I have to thank you for this noble storm you have brewing among our mountains. Listen, that was a glorious peal. Ah, to a lover of the majestic, it is a good thing to have the thunderer himself in one's cottage. The thunder grows finer for that. But pray, be seated. This old rush-bottom armchair, I grant, is a poor substitute for your evergreen throne on Olympus, but condescend to be seated. Oh, are you the god of thunder and lightning? Oh, please sit in my chair, you wet piece of shit. Please like, stop making a small lake in the middle of my living room, you, you stroke dillweed. Your, while you stroke your rods. While you, while you stroke your three-pronged rod. <laughs> And green balls. Yeah, get that checked out. <laughs> While I thus pleasantly spoke, the stranger eyed me, half in wonder and half in a strange sort of horror, but did not move a foot. Do, sir, be seated. You need to be dried ere going forth again. I planted the chair invitingly on the broad hearth where a little fire had been kindled that afternoon to dissipate the dampness, not the cold, for it was early in the month of September. But without heeding my solicitation and still standing in the middle of the floor, the stranger gazed at me portentously and spoke. Finally, weirdo. "'Sir,' said he, "'excuse me, but instead of my accepting your invitation to be seated on the hearth there, I solemnly warn you that you had best accept mine and stand with me in the middle of the room.' "'Good heavens!' he cried, starting. "'There is another of those awful crashes, I warn you, sir. Quit the hearth.' A Mr. Jupiter Tonins, said I, <laughs> quietly rolling my body on the stone. I stand very well here. Are you so horridly ignorant then, he cried, as not to know that by far the most dangerous part of a house during such a terrific tempest as this is the fireplace? Is it? Nay, I did not know that. I would think standing in a fucking puddle holding a giant rod would be a really great way to get struck I, by I mean, lightning. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that's <laughs> not awesome. <laughs> like, Nay, I did not know that, involuntarily stepping upon the first board next to the stone. The stranger now assumed such an unpleasant air of successful admonition that quite involuntarily again, I stepped back upon the hearth and threw myself <laughs> into the erectest, proudest <laughs> posture I could. But I said nothing. So he stood up real straight and got nice and erectus um, yeah. uh, and was like, nah. I'm good by the fire, bro. Good, good to have that much control. <laughs> For heaven's sake, he cried with a strange mixture of alarm and intimidation. For heaven's sake, get off the hearth. Know you not that the heated air and soot are conductors? To say nothing of those immense 
Iron fire dogs, quit the spot. I conjure, I command you. I imagine Robert Preston playing this part. <laughs> I'm guessing he is a door-to-door lightning rod salesman, so you're not far <laughs> off. I did not put that together. So, uh, okay, so he's trying to sell him something. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pull. <laughs> Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with T, and that stands for thunder. <laughs> with a capital T, and that rhymes with E, and that stands for Erect. <laughs> Erect. <laughs> Mr. Jupiter Tonins, I am not accustomed to being commanded in my own house. Yeah. Call me not by that pagan name. You are profane in this time of terror. Sir, will you be so good as to tell me your business? If you seek shelter from the storm, you are welcome as long as you be civil. But if you come on business, open it forthwith. Who are you? (laughs) The fuck are you here for? I am a dealer in lightning rods. Oh, there it is. Said the stranger, (laughs) softening his tone. My special business is... Merciful heavens, what a crash! Have you ever been (laughs) struck? Uh, Your premises, I mean. No, it's best to be provided, significantly rattling his metallic staff on the floor, (laughs) by nature. There are no castles in thunderstorms, yet say but the word, and of this cottage I can make a Gibraltar by a few yards of this wand. Hark! What Himalayas of concussions! (laughs) You interrupted yourself. Your special business you were about to speak of? My special business is to travel the country for orders for lightning rods. This is my specimen rod. He (laughs) tapped his staff. I have the best of references fumbling in his pockets. In Cregan, last month, I put up three and twenty rods on only five buildings. Let me see. Was it not at Cregan last week, about midnight on Saturday, that the steeple, the big elm, and the assembly room cupola were struck? Any of your rods there? (laughs) Not on the tree and cupola, but on the steeple. Of what use is your rod, then? Of life and death use. But my workman was heedless. In fitting the rod at top to the steeple, he allowed a part of the metal to graze the tin sheeting, hence the accident, not my fault, but his hark. (laughs) This guy is so dramatic. Oh, no! (laughs) Never mind. That clap burst quite loud enough to be heard without finger-pointing. Did you hear of the event at Montreal last year? A servant girl struck at her bedside with a rosary in her hand, the beads being metal. Does your beat extend into the Canadas? No. And I hear that iron rods only are in use. They should have mine, which are copper, 
Iron is easily fused. Then they draw out the rod so slender that it has not body enough to conduct the full electric current. The metal melts. The building is destroyed. My copper rod never acts so. Those Canadians are fools. <laughs> Some of them knob the rod at the top, which risks a deadly explosion instead of imperceptibly carrying down the current into the earth, as this rod does. Mine is the only true rod. Look at it. Only one dollar a foot. There's so much dick joke in this story, and I'm so happy about it. This abuse of your own calling in another might make one distrustful with respect to yourself. <laughs> Hark! The thunder becomes less muttering. It is nearing us and nearing the earth to... Hark! One crammed crash! All the vibrations made one by nearness. Another flash. Hold! What do you, I said, yeah, like, seeing him now instantaneously relinquishing his staff, lean intently forward towards the window with his right fore and middle fingers to his left wrist. If you're so scared of thunder and lightning, maybe you shouldn't sell lightning rods. <laughs> so, Just what saying. are you doing? But ere the words had well escaped me, another exclamation escaped him, because of course it did. What? He exclaims things? I Crash! Really Only three pulses, less than a third of a mile off yonder, somewhere in that wood. I passed three stricken oaks there, ripped out, new and glittering. The oak draws lightning more than other timber, having iron in solution in its sap. Your floor here seems oak. <laughs> of course it does. Uh, Buy my stick fast or we're both going to die. <laughs> this feels like a protection racket. Like if this guy doesn't buy the lightning rod, he's just going to come in and burn the house down. Yeah. Like he's going to go outside and like stick it there. So like the, the whole fucking house burns off. Yeah. And the guy comes out and he's like, I told you so. <laughs> you should have listened. <laughs> All for three easy payments of $29.99. All for three easy payments of 33 cents a foot. <laughs> so yes, the oak draws lightning more than other wood. Your floor here seems oak. Heart of oak. From the peculiar time of your call upon me, I suppose you purposely select stormy weather for your journeys. This guy is not having it. When the thunder is roaring, you deem it an hour peculiarly favorable for producing impressions favorable to your trade. Hark! Awful! <laughs> for one who would arm others with fearlessness, you seem unbeseemingly timorous yourself. Common men... <laughs> Are choose fair weather for their travels, you choose thunderstorms, and yet that I travel in thunderstorms I grant, but not without particular precautions, such as only a lightning rod man may know. Hark! Quick, look at my specimen rod, only one dollar a foot. <laughs> 
Okay, the next person that sends a dick pic to somebody after they're asked, I want you to entitle the picture, look at my specimen rod. <laughs> Only, Only one, one dollar, dollar a, a foot. foot. <laughs> Hark, quick, look at my specimen rod. Only one dollar a foot. A very fine rod, I dare say. <laughs> Okay, I looked at it. It's great. Can we move on? But what are these particular precautions of yours? Yet first, let me close yonder shutters. The slanting rain is beating through the sash. I will bar up. Are you mad? Know you not that yon iron is a swift conductor? Desist. I will simply close the shutters then. <laughs> like, uh... And I'm call my boy to bring in a wooden bar. Pray... Touch the bell. Pull there. Are you frantic? <laughs> that bell wire might blast you. Never touch bell wire in a thunderstorm, nor ring a bell of any sort. Nor those in belfries? Pray, will you tell me where and how one may be safe in a time like this? Is there... Any part of my house I may touch with hopes of my life? My rod. You can touch my <laughs> rod. <laughs> there is, but not where you now stand. Come away from the wall. The current will sometimes run down a wall, and a man being better conductor than a wall, it would leave the wall and run into him. Swoop! That must have fallen very nigh. That must have been globular lightning. <laughs> Very probably, tell me at once which is, in your opinion, the safest part of this house. This room and this one spot in it where I stand. Come hither, the reasons first. Hark! After the flash, the gust, the slashes shiver, the house, the house. Come hither to me, the reasons, if you please. Come <laughs> hither to me. Thank you again. I think I will try my old stand, the hearth. And now, Mr. Lightning Rod Man, in the pauses of the thunder... Be so good as to tell me your reasons for esteeming this one room of the house the safest and your own one standpoint there, the safest spot in it. This guy is just in there doing a full-on fucking Shakespeare play. And this it's a one-man like, melodrama. Yeah, and this guy's like, um, why? D bro, just tell me why. Like, what? No, it, no, no, I didn't say hark again. Please don't say hark anymore. <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and I'm not paying a dollar per foot for your rod. There aren't many people, and I'm not saying there aren't any, but there aren't many people who would make a lot of money selling their rod at a dollar a foot. That has to be a special category on Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, please don't go to Pornhub and, and and search search rods dollar rod, a foot dollar a foot. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be some weird horse shit. <laughs> Gross! I hate I hate everything I just said. There was now a little cessation of the storm for a while. The lightning rod man seemed relieved and replied. <clears throat> Your house is a one-storied house with an attic and a cellar. This room is between, hence it is comparatively safe. 
because lightning sometimes passes from the clouds to the earth and sometimes from the earth to the clouds. Do you comprehend? And I choose the middle of the room because if the lightning should strike the house at all, it would come down the chimney or walls. So obviously, the farther you are from them, the better come hither to me now. I don't know what it was in that passage, but now I either want the late Alan Rickman or Christopher Walken to play this dude. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's either uh, very... Alan 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 Rickman, Rickman. Christopher Walken, or Robert Preston. Or Robert Robert Preston or, like, William Shatner. (laughs) Like, someone who has a very uh, certain way of speaking. Distinct vocal pattern, yeah. Come hither to me now, presently. Something you just said, instead of alarming me, has strangely inspired confidence. What have I said? (laughs) You said that sometimes lightning flashes from the earth to the clouds. Aye, the returning stroke, as it is called, when the earth being overcharged with the fluid flashes its surplus upward. The returning stroke, that is... From earth to sky, better and better. But come here on the hearth and dry yourself. I am better here, better wet. Wet and with a returning stroke. (laughs) How? It is the safest thing you can do. (gasps) Hark again to get yourself thoroughly drenched in a thunderstorm. Wet clothes are better conductors than the body. And so if the lightning strike, it might pass down the wet clothes without touching the body. The storm deepens again. Have you a rug in the house? Rugs are non-conductors. Get one that I may stand on it here. And you too. The skies blacken. It is dusk at noon. Hark! The rug! The rug! A horse! A horse! My kingdom for a horse! Oh my god, this man is redonkulous. I gave him a rug. (laughs) It'll shut him up. While the hooded mountains seemed closing and tumbling into the cottage. And now, since our... Being dumb will not help us, said I, resuming my place. Let me hear your precautions in traveling during thunderstorms. Wait till this one is past. Nay, proceed with the precautions. You stand in the safest possible place, according to your own account. Go on. Briefly, then. I avoid pine trees, high houses, lonely barns, upland pastures, running water, flocks of cattle and sheep, a crowd of men. If I travel on foot as today, I do not walk fast. If in my buggy I touch not its backs or sides, if on horseback I dismount and lead the horse, but of all things I avoid tall men. Do I dream? 
Man avoid man and in danger time too? Tall men in a thunderstorm I avoid. Are you so grossly ignorant as not to know that the height of a six-footer is sufficient to discharge an electric cloud upon him? Are not lonely Kentuckians plowing smit in the unfinished furrow? Nay, if a six-footer stand by running water, the cloud will sometimes select him as its conductor to that running water. Hark! Sure, yon black pinnacle is split. Yes, a man is a good conductor. The lightning goes through and through a man, but only peels a tree. But, sir, you have kept me so long answering your questions that I have not yet come to business. Will you order one of my rods? Look at this specimen one. See, it is of the best of copper. Copper's the best conductor. Your house is low, but being upon the mountains, that lowness does not one whit depress it. You mountaineers are most exposed. In mountainous countries, the lightning rod man should have most business. Look at the specimen, sir. One rod will answer for a house so small as this. Look over these recommendations. Only one rod, sir, cost only $20. Hark, there go all the granite taconics to conics. Damn it. It's going so well. Um, I just want to point out all the sex jokes that just happened. It's like expose, uh, look at my rod again. Um, uh, le- uh, please stare at stare at my at my copper pole. Uh, I would also like to. It's point now out twenty dollars. That 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 means his rod is twenty feet. Yeah. How is he carrying that? Well, now is he, it, this it's, this it's, it's uh, retractable. No, the the one he's carrying is the is the sample. It's the sample. Okay, it's not one he would actually. He's saying I can attach a twenty foot rod to your house. Um, I can save you with my twenty foot rod. That is. Uh, um, I, the god of thunder, will save you with my 20-foot rod. Wait, is Chris Hemsworth, like, coming down and saving me with his (laughs) 20-foot rod? (laughs) Hello, I'm Jane. Nice to meet you. (laughs) I I would be, I I actually would be wildly amused to watch Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston play this. Play these two guys. Tom Hiddleston play the house owner, and yes, I would absolutely watch that. Boys, if you're listening, and we know you are, yeah. um, we have a uh, two-person show for have you. Have your agents call me. Yeah, yeah. The phone number's on the website. They they know how to get in touch yeah. with me. We're very we're very famous. <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> All right. Where was I? It's not a word. Taco Nicks and Hoosix. Um. Yeah. Actually, if you want to look these up before I get back into it, I absolutely do. I, I, I'm guessing Taconics. See, I think we're not actually in Albania. This uh, That is a mountain range in New York State. Oh. What was that first word? Maybe there's another meaning for that. I'm going back and see. If it, no, it's just mountain range in Albania. <laughs> it's just really weird. Oh, okay. They're all this. That mountain range is also sometimes referred to as Thunderbolt Mountain. Huh. Maybe he's using it as a metaphor 
He's yeah. not actually in that location. He's just saying it's like this. It's location. like this location where there are a bunch of thunderbolts. Yeah. For um, yeah. For in ancient Greek. Oh yes, in ancient Greek, uh, it Latin, um, from ancient Greeks, high heights plus thunderbolt. So okay. Yeah. Cool. So it is also a mountain range in Albania. So we're we're probably actually in the the American Northeast. Listeners, you can place the story wherever. <laughs> Where was I? Tacos and Hoosiers. Tacos and Hoosiers. <laughs> only one rod, sir, cost only $20. Hark, there go all the granite taconics and hoosics dashed together like pebbles. By the sound, that must have struck something. An elevation of five feet above the house will protect 20 feet radius all about the rod. Only $20, sir, a dollar a foot. Hark! Dreadful! Will you order? Will you buy? Shall I put down your name? Think of being a heap of charred offal like a haltered horse burnt in his stall and all in one flash. You pretended envoy extraordinary and minister plenipotentiary to and from Jupiter Tonins, I laughed. You mere man who come here to put you and your pipe stem between clay and sky do you think (laughs) that because you can strike a bit of green light from a laden jar that you can thoroughly avert the supernal bolt your rod rusts or (laughs) breaks and where are you who has empowered you you tetzel to peddle around your indulgences from divine ordinations the hairs of our heads are numbered and the days of our lives in thunder as in sunshine i stand at ease in the hands of my god False negotiator, away. See, the scroll of the storm is rolled back. The house is unharmed. And in the blue heavens, I read in the rainbow that the deity will not, of purpose, make war on man's earth. Impious wretch, foamed the stranger, blackening in the face as the rainbow beamed. I will Publish your infidel notions. Be gone. Move quickly, if quickly you can. You that shine forth into sight in moist times like the worm. (laughs) The scowl grew blacker on his face. The indigo circles enlarged round his eyes as the storm rings round the midnight moon. He sprang upon me, his tri-fork thing at my heart. I seized it. I snapped it. I dashed it. I trod it. And dragging the dark lightning king out of my door, flung his elbowed copper scepter after him. But spite of my treatment, and spite of my dissuasive talk of him to my neighbors, the lightning rod man still dwells in the land, still travels in storm time, and drives a brave trade with the fears of man. Oh, shit. Okay. 
Okay. That was fucking dope. First of all, that story was fucking awesome. Uh, that is a two-person play that I would watch the shit out of. Absolutely. But, like, also beware of the the person that spreads fear for they will like yeah. darken your room yeah they it's, will... it's a warning against people who spread fear to sell their own shit yeah. like they create the problem they... in order to sell the solution it's so good yeah. like that i mean that's why melville had a reawakening as yeah. people started actually studying like holy shit that was so good yeah. like not only was that entertaining as hell but like it is like in that last minute it's like no, it's like yeah, it, it takes, beware it, these people. Yeah, it takes it takes a twist. It is the wall. Is Fear there potential? The is yeah. there potential danger out there? Of course. Yeah, probably. But you you stoke that fear and you make it bigger and bigger and more specific and create all of this imagery and then you sell a solution yep. to a problem that really isn't that big a problem. Isn't a problem. Like yeah. yeah. Oh wow, that was. I could talk a lot about this one. Honestly, I kind of want to do. That one got me kind of fired up. Yeah, that one, like, I'm kind of like, ooh, all over the place. Because, like, it was funny as hell. And there were so many dick jokes. But, like, which, you know, I always appreciate in a story. Yeah. Although, really, any story has (laughs) dick jokes if you're looking hard enough. If you're looking. But I wasn't even looking that hard, honestly. (laughs) Like, come on. Uh, But, yeah, that was fantastic. I, I, I picked it because I liked the title. Yeah. I actually almost gave this to you like a month ago because oh. the title yeah. stuck you. out to me. But then I found another story. Um, I can't remember which week it was. Doesn't um, matter. We got to read it this matter, time. Doesn't matter. But yeah, I'm so glad I came back to this because, wow, that was that makes me want to read more Melville. Honestly, yeah. like that was really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like it's probably time for me to give Moby Dick another shot because I read, read I read Moby Dick um, when it was assigned in, you know, 10th grade or whatever. See, I so I never took um, I took English like my freshman year mm-hmm. and then I took English 10 honors. Um, but we didn't read Moby Dick. We read like Jekyll and Hyde and like, um, right. Something. And then I, then you had the option your third year to take, um, American lit, Brit lit or, and I took Brit lit because I knew we'd cover some Shakespeare. Right. So and Melville as an actor, so like we didn't go there and that's in American lit. They read Moby Dick. Cause yeah. I remember my friends reading it. Um, but yeah, I've never read it. So now um, maybe we can do a, a a read of that. Well, yeah, maybe we can make that one of our special special um, long special episodes. series. Yeah, yeah, that was fabulous. All right. Well, thank you, Herman Melville. Thank you, um, Mr. Melville. I'm, I'm sorry you were sorry not... you never got to see how awesome you are. Yeah, I you you left the world with a a very powerful message just from that short story alone. So. Uh, People, beware. Beware of the uh, the sellers of fear. Because yeah. it's... Fucking snake oil salesman. All right, y'all. Uh, that was Campfire Classics and True Crimes and a Lie. What an awesome episode that was. Yeah, like, it was a fun one. We got to hear about that. nuns eating shit and uh, people stroking their 20-foot poles. So, I mean, that's that. This this episode pretty much sums up campfire classics <laughs> all right um i guess we did all of the come find us online stuff in the beginning yeah remember that we have that new link tree uh, fa- uh page so find so there's us. so there's really nothing else to say except thank you and become a patron so we can see ken shirtless <laughs> <laughs> um 
But whether you become a patron or not, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I just really want everyone to see you shirtless. <laughs> like, as a sloth that's sexy. Because there aren't